Pushkin. Small business owners, this one's for you. Chase for Business and iHeart bring you a new podcast series called The Unshakables. This one-of-a-kind series will shine the spotlight on small business owners like you who faced a do-or-die moment that ultimately made their business what it is today. Learn more at chase.com slash business slash podcast. Chase, make more of what's yours. Chase mobile app is available for select mobile devices. Message and data rates may apply. J.P. Morgan Chase Bank, N.A., member FDIC. Copyright 2024, J.P. Morgan Chase & Company. Ready to celebrate International Women's Day? M&M's and iHeart present Women Take the Mic, sharing empowering stories of women supporting and celebrating each other. And of course, there is a smooth and creamy companion for your listening pleasure, peanut butter M&M's, because they're just another way to help treat yourself in situations where you deserve a little added delight, like listening to your favorite podcast. So savor the deliciousness of peanut butter M&M's and spread some positivity. From breaking glass ceilings to dominating in sports and entertainment, women truly are unstoppable. You can rent a car, a house, even that little black party dress. So why not rent the stuff you need for your home, too? The place to do it is Aaron's. Choose from thousands of new products from the brands you love, online or in store. Pick a payment plan that fits your budget and pay a little at a time until it's yours forever. But if life changes, you can return it anytime or even upgrade it with something new. Rent what you need. It's better at Aaron's. Approval not guaranteed. Restrictions apply. See store for details. Ring this bell three times well, it's told to clearly say, my treatment's done, this course is run, and I am on my way. Well said. Okay, here we go. That's Scott, a 33-year-old software engineer, ringing the bell on his last day at MD Anderson Cancer Center in Texas. He just completed successful treatment for stage 4 bone cancer. I first talked to Scott on an episode of A Slight Change of Plans called The Life-Changing Diagnosis, when he was roughly two-thirds of the way through his treatment. I'm thrilled to share that today, Scott's scans show no evidence of cancer, and he's back at home in California, adapting to life after treatment. When you're given the command by a very serious and well-trained doctor that here's what you must do, it's obvious that you heed that call. But now now nobody's really telling you how you should be spending your time, how to relish and enjoy what you did fight for. And that is like a, that is a more challenging puzzle. On today's episode, living on the other side of a life-changing diagnosis. I'm Maya Shunker, and this is A Slight Change of Plans, a show about who we are and who we become in the face of a big change. Before we dive into my recent conversation with Scott, here's a bit of background on him. Scott's a self-proclaimed health nut who has been relentlessly trying to optimize for his future health. We're talking veganism, adding turmeric to his food, intermittent fasting, and sleeping a specific number of hours every night. And so, when Scott's ankles started bothering him in the fall of 2019, and he soon learned that he had stage 4 bone cancer, he was shocked. 
After all, he'd spent the majority of his adult life trying to avoid this outcome. When Scott and I first spoke, he reflected on how his self-identity was changing in the midst of treatment. He had had his right leg amputated below the knee, a vertebra removed from his spine, and 12 rounds of chemotherapy. For this conversation, I asked Scott if he'd be willing to pick up where we left off. The final part of his treatment would involve six more rounds of chemo and one additional surgery where doctors would need to operate on his other leg. For that surgery, Scott was given a choice. Option one, a surgery that would require Scott to stay off his leg for 12 months while it healed, but that could ultimately restore his leg to normal function. Or option two, a surgery where he could bear weight on his leg right away, but that would limit his use of that leg in the future. I wanted to know how Scott decided between these two surgeries. Given my youth and general inclination toward activity, most surgeons were thinking that the the former was the better procedure. But as a part of this ensemble of things that were happening to me, I, I think I had to think pretty hard about whether I wanted to dig in for another 12 months or more, or just move on with my life a little bit, accepting that I would have limitations for the rest of my life. And so I I talked to a lot of people about it. And I think my wife and I were in agreement that I don't always have to do the hardest thing and opt for the the slog that I, I could say, you know what, I need a break. I want this to be over sooner rather than later. And even if this doesn't allow me to be a Paralympian, I'm going to be able to get around. And um, it felt like when you're talking about this disease, it's quite possible that things come back in in 12 months. And if if I wanted to enjoy the next 12 months, and it does feel kind of dark, but if, if you want to think about, well, time is short, um, time may be short, it's short for all of us, but it, it may be particularly short for me. Do I want to spend the next 12 months of my life on crutches, crushing on a prosthetic, um, when there might not be that much more than that? Yeah, I mean, your your decision to go with the, the surgery that was easier in the shorter term, potentially more complicated in the longer term, it strikes me as as such a foreign decision for Scott. Like given everything I know about you, you are you are through and through like a suffer now, live later kind of guy, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, it, it does strike me. I mean, sometimes isolated decisions that we make in life can represent more global shifts in perspective. And I do wonder if this felt new to you in some way or represents something slightly bigger. Yeah, no, it's a good observation. I think I'm definitely a delayment of gratification kind of guy like um i am an embodiment of the marshmallow test in that i haven't (laughs) even when the researchers came back and gave you the two marshmallows to enjoy you were like nope i don't even want those (laughs) that's right that's right um i i think it did signal a little bit of um self-compassion just a sense an acknowledgement of wow this has been a really hard year i'd like to get off the ride now i guess tempted by an easier option, I feel skeptical of it because it's a shortcut. It must be a half measure. But in this case, I just felt, you know, maybe I 
deserve the shortcut. Mm. You know, I'm, I'm mindful of the fact that you were going through this entire experience against the backdrop of a global pandemic. And I'm curious to know what it was like to navigate your treatment with this added layer of complexity. Yeah, it, I mean, there, there was something that was actually kind of fortuitous about it because as I was kind of receding from my normal life, everybody else was sort of doing the same. Um, and I was, I didn't have to feel so self-conscious because people weren't out in the world really. Like nobody could see <laughs> what was below the the sort of the carnage <laughs> below screen, um, which was kind of great. And, and so February, March of 2021, vaccines started circulating and I think there was the sense that the world was going to open up and people were going to get back to real life and, and start congregating and I while this was exciting to get my own inoculation it I also felt a little anxiety that uh-oh you know the the gig is up like now I'm going to be expected to you know, present myself and and come out of the closet as, you know, somebody who is now disabled in a way. Um, and I think I, I certainly had mixed emotions about it. Uh, in some ways, the pandemic and everybody's reclusiveness was suiting my lifestyle and I wasn't I wasn't quite finished and I felt like I was going to get left behind when everybody just suddenly marches into the streets and and I'm sort of uh I I wasn't quite ready for that. Yeah. On the last day of your treatment, you participated in a ritual that MD Anderson has for patients where you read an inscription on the wall, you ring a bell, it's this incredibly joyous experience. Um, and you're surrounded by your caretakers. What, w what was that experience like? Yeah, I mean, it was, it was, it felt triumphant in a way. I got to celebrate a little bit in the, you know, <laughs> such as it is in the cancer ward. It was a real pleasure to, to know that I wouldn't have to come through those doors again, at least, at least for a while. And um, subject myself to to that form of torture. You know, it's it's so weird that you're intensely grateful for the care and kindness, and yet at the same time you never want to see those people again because of what they represent and what they leave you with. So, yeah, it, it's funny to you know to say say goodbye to these people that I've been seeing almost daily for months and say like, you know, hope, see you never <laughs> uh, and feel good about that. And then correct me if I'm wrong, but is it a few days after the bell ringing that you get the final body scan? Yeah. So in the first scan after treatment, everything looked good. I was clear of any overt, signs of disease or tumor, uh, the one exception being a small little 
nodule that they saw in the lung, which they couldn't say much about except that there was something. And all we could do was kind of acknowledge it and and wait because it, it was too small to really interpret visually and not advisable to interrogate it any further. It was just, we'll, we'll, we'll wait and see. And I mean, I was assured that it was likely nothing, but that's kind of what I heard <laughs> a year before, you know, when my ankle hurt and it's probably just a sprain or probably just tendinosis or something. Um, so obviously I'm concerned, but had to just sit with that feeling of concern and understand that there's nothing to do. The The evidence that it's anything will only emerge in time if it does. And that is the, the hallmark of cancer is that it grows. And so we have to wait to see if it grows. And I think that's a hard thing to do to just sort of shut it out of your mind. But I guess maybe yeah i guess i at that point i had a lot of practice disengaging from all the the what if thinking because mm. you could really just spiral yeah i mean i i think it's such an important characteristic of illness and disease that we often have to redefine what it means to actually cross the finish line both physically and psychologically right i mean essentially yeah, it's about learning to live with this permanent feeling of unease to co come mm -hmm. to terms with that. And I, I, I hear you saying, you know, you had a lot of practice, but I know listeners who are going through similar situations want to know, like, Scott, what is your secret? How do you manage? How do you manage the waiting game? Right? Like, how do you manage the anxiety that accompanies this kind of uncertainty? Mm. That's so interesting. Um, turning it over in your mind, like un unlike a rock tumbler, it's not necessarily going to smooth out the the gemstone. It's just going to you know make it spikier and scarier because you simulate all the outcomes that are frankly terrifying. Whereas actually, kind of just turning away from it with san you know with a sane plan it's not as though i'm gonna ignore it but but we know that the only thing to do is is wait and see and kind of follow up when when the time comes i mean i think this whole ordeal obviously when trying to kind of muscle through a treatment plan like this which feels interminable your whole psyche is organized around getting through it, getting to the other side, there's a finish line. And that's what ringing the bell felt like. And now on the other side of that, you're kind of dumped into this ocean of, of after time that, that feels like it's, well, A, it's of uncertain length, but B, there's no, there is no finish line now. And it's a little bit like, you know, graduating from school or getting your degree and then you enter adult life and there's no there's no definitive hurdles or milestones you kind of just have to make those up for yourself and likewise you know I'm 
fighting for survival, fighting to complete this treatment to give me a chance at at living a full life. And now that I'm in that, the question is, okay, well, wait, what is a full life? Like, it was clear that a full life is something you want. And so I'm very willing to fight for that. But now I have to sort of realize that life. And, you know, what what does make for a meaningful, full, happy life if you no longer have this very concrete goal to save your life? That is a more challenging puzzle. It's, it's easier when you have marching orders. And I think that's why there's a psychological kind of purity to war or something where where it's just so clear what you have to do whereas it's this kind of malaise of um privilege like a privilege of time and and a a concern that you might be squandering it We'll be right back with a slight change of plans. Sometimes trusting your gut doesn't work. Like when you end up late because you think the line at the coffee shop doesn't look too long. Probiotics can't help with most of your gut decisions. But if your gut needs a little support, Ritual has your back. They made a three-in-one supplement I love called Symbiotic Plus. It includes clinically studied prebiotics, probiotics, and a postbiotic to support a balanced gut microbiome. All kinds of things can mess with your gut on a daily basis, like stress, travel, and food choices. I take Symbiotic Plus from Ritual every morning to help my gut microbiome. The delayed release is designed to help survive the harsh conditions of the upper GI tract, and I appreciate that it's in just one minty capsule, no refrigeration needed. There's no more shame in your gut game. Symbiotic Plus and Ritual are here to celebrate, not hide your insides. Get 20% off your first month for a limited time at ritual.com slash slight. Start Ritual or add Symbiotic Plus to your subscription today. That's ritual.com slash slight for 20% off. Did you know that an estimated 5 billion plastic hand soap and cleaning bottles are thrown away each year? And if that's not bad enough... Most of these cleaning formulas are 90% water, which is heavy to ship and leads to excessive carbon emissions. Blueland is on a mission to eliminate single-use plastic by reinventing cleaning essentials. The idea is simple. They offer refillable cleaning products with a beautiful, cohesive design that looks great on your counter. Blueland is trusted in over 1 million homes, including mine. I love that I can just fill the reusable bottles with water, drop in the Blueland tablets, and start cleaning. Blueland is a staple in my home because I find their products super clean and effective. From cleaning sprays to hand soap, toilet bowl cleaner, and laundry tablets, all Blueland products are made with clean ingredients you can feel good about. Blueland has a special offer for listeners. Right now, get 15% off your first order by going to blueland.com/slight. You won't want to miss this. blueland.com/slight for 15% off. That's blueland.com slash slight to get 15% off. Hi, I'm Cindy Crawford, and I'm the founder of Meaningful Beauty. Well, I don't know about you, but like I never liked being told, oh, wow, you look so good for your age. Like, why even bother saying that? Why don't you just say you look great at any age, every age? That's what Meaningful Beauty is all about. We create products that make you feel confident in your skin 
at the age you are now. Meaningful Beauty. Beautiful skin at every age. Learn more at MeaningfulBeauty.com. You threw everything you had physically and emotionally into fighting for your life. And now you are living that life. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's up to you now to find clarity around what you want that life to look like. And it feels like an overwhelming and pressure-filled process that um, maybe a person ought not to face in their lives because all of a sudden the stakes feel so high and um, it, maybe that's unnatural. Like I, I, I almost don't, in this moment, I'm struggling to know whether it's like a good thing for you to feel like you mm. have to fully reorganize your life and your priorities and and all that comes along with it. I it's nice to feel enlightened, but I guess there's something lovely about also reclaiming a sense of normalcy and not feeling like there has to be profound shifts, you know, not feeling like you can't sweat the small stuff anymore and you can't begrudge the customer service agent who's giving you a hard mm-hmm. time because oh my god that stuff doesn't matter. <laughs> and so does it does it feel like a burden actually to have to to reenter life with like a new purpose and a new philosophical mindset? Yeah, that's a that's a great question. I, I think certainly certainly I I do crave a degree of normalcy and it's like it feels like a a triumph and a delight to go to bed and realize I didn't take a single medication today. Like I didn't have to swallow a single pill today or there was no point during the day in which I needed to lie down. I just sort of conducted a normal adult life. And I think that feels great. But I, I also do notice like there's a tinge of sadness at just resuming as if nothing happened or like noticing that I'm falling into patterns that I thought this experience had helped me outgrow. One of the things that I think I've gained from this experience is a little bit more flexibility in terms of my environment, what I eat. I just feel like less fussy about my physical circumstances, whether it's comfort or food or whatever, not to say I don't still seek those things out. But so when I find myself being picky or fastidious about something, I notice like I I can, I can chastise myself thinking, you know, have you learned nothing? Like, what do you, you know, this is such a pre cancer pre illness thought yeah it's interesting i mean i think what i'm what i'm hearing and and what i'm reflecting on in this moment is that there is a tension right i think it's very tempting for us to come out the other side from a very challenging difficult episode and feel okay i am i am enlightened i have a new perspective let this all not be for naught you know please let me have learned things but then there's this pull from the other side which is there's some value in feeling some of the more familiar 
everyday feelings that mm-hmm. I that I once felt because it is signaling to my brain that the old constellation of things that I used to care about, that I used to get riled up about, wh- whatever it is, um, still exist. And it's just like not knowing what the right balance is, I guess. I don't know if you felt that way. Like you chastise yourself and yet at the same time, mm-hmm. there's something very familiar and comforting, potentially, about worrying about what you eat. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, how awesome is it that I have the luxury of worrying about what I'm eating right now? <laughs> That's awesome. That my brain has even the bandwidth to think about that. You know? Yeah. I don't know. Does yeah, that yeah. resonate it's with you? Well said. I mean, it feels like getting my old self back in a way. Um, but then I think, oh well, maybe was my old self that great? My old self was the a person who got cancer. So what were my decisions all wrong, or was it you know some karmic? retribution for for something so it's like there, there's some aversion i have to my old self because my old self was some was something that got me in the place of getting bone cancer which i know feels like somewhat perverted when i was a senior in high school and got into harvard it was like validated everything i had done up to that point which is absurd but that's that's a mindset and by the same token getting diagnosed with cancer calls into question anything that's happened before. Was I doing something wrong? Whether it's physically, nutritionally, spiritually, whatever. And so I do feel like some distance from my old self because that old self kind of faced judgment. This, This all feels like weirdly spiritual and religious. And I don't, I don't mean it. I I'm implying no, theology here i'm just it's just i'm just noticing that my brain likes narratives but if you think that well do do the ends justify the means in some way or or if i'm now more mature or have uh, my my personality's been smoothed out by this whole experience it suggests what i needed was a good ass kicking in some way um and I certainly got that. I'm listening, and I guess I'm just, I'm lightly stunned by the agency you feel old Scott played in, quote, getting cancer. Like, why is old Scott carrying any moral responsibility for a physical outcome that old Scott didn't, I mean, how could that, how does that possibly work out logically? I, I don't. What does that even I mean? I don't think. I don't think it's rational, but it feels but you feel like it, the, right? It, yeah, it feels like the other side of the coin of agency, to use your word, which is that if if I feel like I can move the needle positively, then it it seems like maybe I somehow move the needle negatively, right? If if it's within your power to but some things aren't within your power you might not totally. you might biologically just have had like no defense against this cancer there's totally. no counterfactual world in which you defeat the cancer through any sort of intervention <laughs> you you accept that as being at least one reality right oh i, I rationally i completely yeah. accept that I, I, even hearing you say it is therapeutic and and the reason i'm i'm so interested in this scott is because 
That self-blame is our way, I think, of subconsciously exerting control. It's like we need to feel like our past selves had control and our current day selves had control. And it, it, it is an interesting quirk of, of human nature to play this game with ourselves, you know? Mm. And I do wonder whether when you come out the other side of treatment successfully, it can seduce you back into that older mindset of thinking we are, in fact, in control of our outcomes. Because you saw some version of an input-output model play out in your favor, right? Yeah. I, I love everything you just said. I, I think it definitely is part of this illusion of control, which is somehow comforting. Um, and um, definitely in the throes of treatment, I am being kind of passed around from clinic to clinic, doctor to doctor, and I don't feel like I have much agency. And, and so, and that was, that's a little freeing, I guess now as I yeah regain my own agency and contemplate how I want to direct that agency, I do feel more, more prone to that narrative of control, but right. So either <laughs> it feels like you should own the good and the bad. And if you're entitling yourself to own the good, then you should take responsibility for the bad. However, the truth is probably more that you shouldn't take much ownership of anything, the bad or the good, but it feels better. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So I, I, I want to dig in a little bit on, uh, on this topic of identity, um, because one of the most memorable parts of our first conversation is when we talked about your changing relationship with your identity. You said that the things that you felt had defined you, like your physical fitness, were perhaps more, quote, negotiable mm -hmm. than you thought. And that you, you said something so evocative, like, you know, even though I can't do handstand, I'm still me. And I want to know, what's your current understanding of what makes you you? What are those defining traits? Yeah, yeah, what makes me me? Um, I'm happy to report that I can do a nice handstand again. Is that the opposite of the point? Um, <laughs> That's awesome, though. Yeah. Um, yeah, maybe I've become a little less me, which might be for the better. Mm. Um, Say more about that. It, we had this weird experience where we went up to the Russian River, a group of friends, and we stayed in a house and it was supposed to be this sort of quiet getaway. And it turned out that in the open meadow across the street, that weekend was scheduled a rodeo. The rodeo was in town and like the front yard was essentially a parking lot for this rodeo. And I think there were, there were sort of two camps in responding to this half of the folks were annoyed that it was disrupting their intended vibe. And I think two years ago, I certainly would have been in that camp just outraged and um, indignant and feeling sort of this urban smugness at the, the rodeo but for some reason, I found myself, I, I was viewing it like a, as if I was a 
sociologist. Like I was curious about, I guess, the treatment of animals notwithstanding. I was interested in the cultural novelty of it and kind of wanted to explore it and understand it more rather than just feeling a need to flee. Um, and I, I do, I do think that was a, that's a shift in my personality that I'm grateful for. I think your life is just easier when you're less pissed off by stuff. Mm. It's interesting. I mean, you said you're, you're less pissed off, right? In in the face of things you would have coded as disturbances before, right? But it seems like there's more there. It, it's not simply being less pissed off. It seems like there's some exploratory side of your personality that's... Well, <laughs> your show is called Slight Change of Plans. You know, some, sometimes you get curveballs, and I was just sort of curious about what was in store. Um, and it's like... Yeah, who's to say that my plans would have gone out without a hitch anyway, right? I, I've had this experience in the past where things got off track despite my best intentions. And so maybe it matters less that things are executing according to plan. Um, does that make sense? Yeah, it's so fascinating what you've just said, because you could easily imagine. I mean, I think that the common narrative would be after a wildly unexpected stage four cancer diagnosis, we cower in the face of slight changes of plan, right? We were fearful of unexpected, unexplored terrain um, because you know what? Last time we went there, we didn't like it. But what you're saying makes me think from a totally different perspective, which is you're coming at this from having so carefully crafted your plans and and like you said, despite your best efforts, things went off the rails. And so maybe we should be embracing some of the, the curveballs more generally. Yeah. And guess what? I think that it, it saved me a few hours of consternation because like, so I, I, I was better off in my subjective experience. It was like, it's pretty nice. Yeah. Um, I remember, Scott, when we talked, you, you had said that and this, this is while you were in the middle of treatment, you were resisting any big changes to the way that you lived your life. And I pulled a clip from that, from that conversation, so let's take a listen. What has it been like to confront death in this way? How have I confronted death? Um, or have you confronted it? I mean, maybe you haven't, which is also completely fine, you know? In order to undergo this hideous array of treatment, I have to operate in the assumption that I'm going to come out on the other side and, and live a long life. Because otherwise, what's the point? It, maybe maybe you should change your behavior in some way or change the, your, the lens with which you look at the world. But I, you also should, if you're to survive, probably act as if you're going to survive, you know, fake it until you make it. So now that you're no longer undergoing treatments and you don't need to carry this mindset in order to power through. I'm wondering if you have made any changes to the way you live your life. Mm. We sound so young. <laughs> um, yeah, it's interesting. I, I think at this point, I think I've internalized the sense that life might be for me more compressed than it, than I thought it would be. Uh, and that it does 
create a little bit of pressure to use time wisely. And I think if I'm being honest, sometimes I find myself um, a little more like impatient. I do feel encumbered with the responsibility to like use time fruitfully and and by fruitful i mean in a way that is satisfying and and enjoyable and kind and has value to me and others um when you have decades ahead of you as most people assume you could sort of kick the can down the road and say, well, there'll be time for that later or I'll figure it out in time. And now I'm thinking, well, I should figure this out now. I I definitely think it changes the calculus. This whole having a life-threatening diagnosis definitely changes the calculus of of whether you're investing in the the very long term. It's like you, you could say, well, you know, when I'm older, when I, you know, when I feel economically secure, then I'll then I'll invest in having a gratifying life. But but now it feels like if there's ever a time to do it, it's now. Hmm. In our last conversation, you mentioned you mentioned something that surprised you, which was that the emotional thermostat had prevailed. You, you were you were pleasantly surprised to find that, despite your worst fear happening. Um, the good moments felt just as good. You know, you had more lows. Um, and I think you said, certainly it's a pain in the ass. Don't get me wrong. Um, but you had achieved some kind of happiness equilibrium. And I, I'm just curious to know if this is still the case. Yeah, it feels like there's there's enough in life to either rue or have regret for or take joy in and and find gratitude for that you can there's just enough going on that you can kind of pick and choose what to highlight or not and it's really less about the sum total of all the good stuff and the bad stuff it's more about just what you shine your mental spotlight on and it so in the course of all this obviously it was debilitating and not fun (laughs) but there were also you know a lot of unexpected silver linings and yeah it's funny that one's mind can drift towards gratitude in the face of tragedy and I've been pleasantly surprised that like it's pretty easy for me to focus on the nice things it take it takes reinforcement but it's definitely there hey thanks for listening Join me next week when I talk to author Michael Pollan about the power psychedelics have to change our minds and what he's learned from his own psychedelic trips. One of the things psychedelics does is it takes all that 
ironic crust we cover the world with and it, it scrapes it off really effectively and suddenly things appear with the, the 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 profundity and beauty of first sight i mean awe at the ordinary is is a really you know a piece of music um a flower i mean and that's a wonderful aspect of psychedelic experience A Slight Change of Plans is created, written, and executive produced by me, Maya Shunker. The Slight Change family includes Tyler Green, our senior producer, Jen Guerra, our senior editor, Ben Tolliday, our sound engineer, Emily Rostek, our producer, and Mia LaBelle, our executive producer. Luis Guerra wrote our theme song, and Ginger Smith helped arrange the vocals. A Slight Change of Plans is a production of Pushkin Industries, so big thanks to everyone there, including Malcolm Gladwell, Jacob Weisberg, Lital Malad and Heather Fain. And of course, a very special thanks to Jimmy Lee. You can follow A Slight Change of Plans on Instagram at Dr. Maya Shunker. See you next week. I'd love to hear about your, your return flight home. Like, do you remember the kinds of thoughts that were going through your head? Or like what it what it felt like to be leaving? Um, well, I was thrilled to be making the journey and generally find air travel hellish. But at that point, I was thinking, what can United do to me that MD Anderson hasn't already done? Does money stress you out? Let FACET flip your financial chaos into clarity. Finding FACET immediately put us at ease. FACET's innovative approach to financial planning ensures your money works as hard as you do, enabling members to experience the joys of having your finances in order. And that makes us FACET for life now, I guess. <laughs> Visit FACET.com, F-A-C-E-T.com to learn more. This ad is sponsored by FACET. FACET Wealth is an SEC-registered investment advisor. This is not an offer to buy or sell securities, nor is it investment, legal, or tax advice. These testimonials are from current FACET members who are not compensated. All opinions are their own and not a guarantee of a similar outcome. Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80, live March 20th from the Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City, featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infinity QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. This is Amy Brown from Four Things with Amy Brown. Today, Healthier is happening at CVS Health in more ways than you've ever seen. It's wellness destinations for seniors, including select locations with Oak Street Health and CVS Pharmacy. It's doctors, nurses, pharmacists, and everyone in between offering quality care and support virtually in person, and on the phone. It's in-home evaluations through Signify Health and meeting mental health needs through Aetna. And those are just a few of the ways that Healthier is happening. To see more, visit cvshealth.com slash healthier happens together. CVS Pharmacy, Oak Street Health, CVS Specialty, Signify Health, and Aetna are part of CVS Health. Eligibility and services vary by location and individual.